Let's turn to Psalm 40 this morning. This is Lent, and we've been going through some laments, but uh, I was kind of lamented out for this week. Uh, and, and we'll return next week in a different fashion, but, but this week, David's in the mire, and, and perhaps you have been in the mire yourself. Now, physically, the mire and... and is something like this. You're, you're out in the woods someday and, and, and you're walking along and uh, you, you, know, you decide, well, there's a little stream, I'm going to cross the stream. So, so you go and it doesn't look too deep, but you put your, your foot in and it goes down, okay? And it's way deeper than you thought. And you, 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 you yank on your foot and it doesn't come out because of the suction and the mud that, that holds your foot there. So you decide, I'll use my other foot and I'll get some good leverage. So you put your other foot down and it goes down. And now you're standing there and, and you're looking for somebody to come along and pull you out because you're stuck in the mire. And it doesn't want to let go and, and you'd really not rather not leave your boots there. Uh, you want to take them home with you, but you're kind of stuck. So what do you do? Well, that's the mire it, it talks about here and, and, and uh, the miry clay and and. I used to work at a, a camp in the summers uh, when, when I lived in Pennsylvania, and they had a clay pit. And it was the kind of clay that you would, it was a vein of clay, the kind you would make pottery from. And we would go and uh, spend one afternoon every, every time that the kids were up there, and we would go play in the clay. And you would come back, and you would uh, kind of be battleship gray. Uh, because that was the color of the clay, and it would be everywhere. And, you know, girls with a lot of hair would decline to go play in the clay, because if you had really thick hair, you would still be picking clay out of that hair days later, okay? Because it would be in your ear, and it, it was great fun, but, you know, it wasn't uncommon to find somebody down at the bottom where, where all the water came, and it was the gooeyest, saying, come down and get me, I'm stuck, because they couldn't get themselves unstuck. Sometimes we get into, as David calls it, the pit. We find ourselves stuck in the miry clay, and it's not just physical clay that David is talking about. We see plenty of places in Scripture where people get stuck in those places. In fact, the word for clay here means cistern, or pit means a cistern. And a cistern was often dug in rock and, and would be placed to hold water. And cisterns often acted as dumping grounds for a variety of things. Uh, bad people that you wanted to disappear. Uh, so if you had some friends, you'd go out and get rid of this guy. Where are we going to hide the body? We'll throw him in the cistern. Um, and after a while, cisterns would collect stuff at the bottom. You never knew, but especially muck and clay, and mire. And if you remember Genesis 37, Joseph is thrown into the pit by his brothers. It's the same word, probably a cistern to, first they want to get rid of him, maybe if we'll throw him down there, he'll die and we'll never have to worry about him again, or maybe they're going to, you know, uh, his other brother comes back and says, no, we've got to sell him off. Jeremiah the prophet is also tossed into a cistern, and we get the image because they have to, to lower ropes down to him that he is at least up to his waist in the muck and the mire because he can't get out, he can't move, and they have to pull him out and break the suction that holds him there. David's pit here, as we'll see in just a second, is, is, is a physical pit, but it's not 
a space. It is a pit within his heart in which he has fallen, a pit of despair and of loneliness, and it's a place that he doesn't quite understand why he is here, but he is waiting on the Lord to get him out. So if you're able, would you stand with me and we'll read from Psalm 40. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that our eyes would be open to the things that we fall into, the pits in our own lives. We pray that as we read, you would reveal to us your grace and mercy, what we are doing there, what you want to do with us while we were there, and the fact that we are called to wait on you in the midst of it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And we'll just read the first five verses of Psalm 40 today. I'll read it for you. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which thou hast done. And thy thoughts toward us there is none to compare with thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Many are your wonders Many are your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. If I was to even begin to declare or speak of the wonders that you have done, Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't count them all. I can't count them all. They are just simply too many for me to list. Well, as I said, David is, uses the word for a pit here. And in, in uh, biblical language, there's two kinds. One is a cistern. And it's interesting, in, in uh, the Middle East, there are these pockets of limestone. And what you find is an opening at the top. And often water will get into the opening. And over a period of time, the water will wear away the limestone in a pear shape or a bell shape. So you go into these caverns and they have this small opening on top, but they go like this and they open up on the bottom. And uh, if you're a shower singer uh, and you hear because you like the acoustics in the shower, you should go into one of those caves and, and sing. It's really, really good. Well, it, it almost, you know, a little different, but you get the same idea in the sanctuary of the shape and of the sound. Well, that's one way and one type of pit, the cistern, and often they would, they would plaster over them and, and store water in them in the old days. Uh, the other pit is this pit of instability and loneliness and helplessness, a pit when you're in despair, a pit when you, you just are not sure what the Lord is doing and, and, and you're just crying out to him. Now, our psalm here before us, Psalm 40, really falls into two sections, and we're only going to deal with a little bit of the first section today, but um, the first half, verses 1 through 10, David tells of how God got him out of one of the pits he was in, and he sings to God, the Lord has put this new song in his heart, 
But David doesn't live happily ever after. It's not as if we only get one pit in our life and then uh, we're protected from those forevermore. Uh, in the second half, David gets into another pit, and it is a pit of his own making, apparently. Um, uh, jump down to uh, uh, verse 12. Um, this tells us about his, uh, the second pit that he's in. For evils beyond numbers, beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. He's fallen into a, a pit of his own actions. Okay? It's his fault he's in this other pit. Uh, the first one we're not sure of, but he's waiting on the Lord to come and get him out. And that once he does, he sings the Lord's praises in the midst of that. Now, because David waited intently on the Lord to rescue him from the first pit, he knew what to do when he got in the second pit. It's, it's, it's building trust. Okay? In any relationship, you have to begin to trust the other person, and you do that by trusting a little bit. They earn it. You get more and more. Well, the Lord calls us to trust him, and here David in the first pit is waiting on the Lord. The Lord gets him out. He sings his praises. He's in another pit. What do you do? Lord got me out of the first one, okay, I'm going to wait on the Lord again. Now, David doesn't specify exactly what the trials of the first pit uh, entail. As I said, the second pit was clearly a result of his sins and, and his enemies trying to destroy him. Except he describes it in verse 2. He brought me out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. As I said... The miry clay is that stuff that you step in that, that creates a suction and holds you there. You just can't get out of it by yourself. It seems to, every time you struggle, you just can't, and you don't want to leave your boots. You're just stuck there in the pit, in the miry clay. Now, if you um, know your uh, literature, then you know Pilgrim's Progress. And in Pilgrim's Progress, there is a section where Christian and his uh, temporary companion, Pliable, fall into the, the slough of despond. Okay, the uh, slough, uh, when was the last time you used that word, slough? Um, I always pronounced it slough of despair, um, but then I, I had my phone out and I listened to how it was supposed to be pronounced, and it was a slough of despond. Uh, so we're going to go and look at the slough of despond a little bit. And I'm going to quote from, from Bunyan because it is so good. And, and if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read it, preferably in the modern English version, uh, because in Bunyan's original, it, it's, we just don't talk that way. Okay? Now let me quote a little bit here. Now I saw in my dream that just as they had ended this talk, they drew near to a very miry slough that was in the middle of the plain, and not noticing it, they both fell suddenly into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here then they wallowed for a time, being grievously smeared with the mud, and Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink into the mire. Now, just to, to refresh you, Christian has come and he's been talked the evangelist has come to Christian and said, you need to go to the city. And he's on his way to the, and it's the wicked gate, wicked uh, gate that he is trying to get to. And along the way, he comes and meets these different people. 
And the first, or one of the first people he meets is pliable. Somebody who says, hey, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to the, the holy city where I can release this burden. This burden that he carries is his sin. And he wants to escape the judgment. Uh, so off he goes and pliable says, hey, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go with you. And Christian is, is great. He doesn't know much. And so pliable comes along. And here they, they fall into this bog, not noticing it. Now, how many of us have fallen into some sort of pit of despair, and all of a sudden we look around and go, how did we get here? Okay, where did this come from? It almost reached up and grabbed me. And Pliable says, ah, neighbor Christian, where are you now? And truly, truly said Christian, I don't know. He, he's, he's unaware of really how he fell into this and how he got there and what it means yet. And Pliable, now most of Christian's friends come and go. Pliable, at that pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, is this the happiness you have been telling me about all this time? He said, I just wanted the good stuff. Okay, I'm not into this journey where I've got to carry a burden, where I'm going to fall into this muck. If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? If I get out again with my life, you shall possess the brave country alone. He says, I'm not going with you. This is too hard for me. I didn't even want to be here, and here we are stuck together. If I get out of this, you're on your own. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on that side of the slough, which was nearest to his own house. So he went away, and Christians saw him no more. Now, that's very important. He got out of the slough on the side that was nearest his own house, which means nearest the way they just came. See, Christian wants to get out of the slough on the side that's closest to the wicket gate because that's where he's going. And Pliable thought it was good to go to the gate until he got in the slough, and he's just not that excited about it now. So he thinks, if I get out of here with my life, I'm going back home because it's safe at home, and I know what's back there. Christian won't have any of it. He says, I'm not getting out that way. So Christian was left to tumble in the slough of despond alone. But still he endeavored to struggle to that side of the slough that was furthest from his own house and nearest to the wicket gate, which he did. But he could not get out because of the burden that was upon his back. But I beheld in my dream that a man came to him whose name was Help and asked him, what are you doing? Sir, said Christian, I was told to go this way by a man called Evangelist, who directed me also to the gate over there so that I might escape the wrath to come. And as I was going there, I fell in here. But why did you not look for the steps? asks Help. Christian says, fear followed me so hard that I fled the nearest way and fell in. There he got into the slough. And he didn't know what to do, and he started, to, in a sense, to splash around. And just like you, you get one foot in, and before you know it, you try to get out, you get the other foot in, now you're really stuck. And what added to Christian's problem was he had all this weight on his shoulders from his burden, which was his sin. And help said, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he drew him out and set him upon some ground and bid him to go on his way. He also brought me out of that terrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Psalm 40, verse 2. Then I stepped up to him that plucked me out and said, Sir, why, since this place is the way from the city of destruction to that gate, 
Is it that this place is not repaired so that poor travelers might go there with more safety? He's simply asking the question, why are these pits here? I mean, you would think that we're on our way to the place where the Lord wants us to be. And, and we're, yes, we've got this burden and we're carrying it and I want to be there. I want to escape the wrath to come. And he says, why is this pit here? I didn't even see it. You'd think somebody would repair it. Somebody would fix it. And he said to me, this miry slough is such a place as cannot be repaired. It is the descent where the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin continually runs. And therefore it is called the slough of despond. For still as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arises in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, all of which get together and settle in this place. That's the slough. That's the pit. These are my apprehensions. These are my fears. Yes, I'm on the way. Yes, I know what lays ahead. But, but here I am and all the sin in my life is settled here. And sometimes I get bogged down in that. And it seems to grab me and it doesn't want to let me go. It's like the suction has a hold of my foot and says, I've got to get out of here. But you can't. You can't. Not until help comes along. This is the reason this ground is so bad, says help. Hope goes on to describe the steps which are in the slough. Now, steps meaning physical steps. Steps one might use if they can find them. See, how often has we, have we gotten into the pit and we want to get out, but we're so deep into the pit we can't see the steps. Our eyes are blinded for some reason as to the way out of the steps. But we become, you know, in, in example... One of the, the illustrations of how kind of depression works is that you begin to look at your own belly button. Now, if everybody were to, to look at their own belly button, eventually when you get down like this, this is all you can see is your own navel. Okay? You can't see anything else. What about the helps that's over here? You can't see that. Why? Because you're looking at your belly button. All you see is yourself and all you see is your problem. And all you see is this pit that you're in. The steps are there but without help, it's sometimes very difficult to see them. True, there are, by the direction of the lawgiver, that would be the Lord, certain good and substantial steps, placed even through the very midst of this slough, but at such time as this place doth spew much filth, it does against change of weather, these steps are hardly seen. Or if they be men through the dizziness of their heads, step besides. And then they are bemired to purpose, notwithstanding the steps be there. But the ground is good where they are once got in the gate. What it says, what he says, sometimes you get in there, you can't see him. Sometimes you can't see the help that is right before you. Sometimes you are so focused upon the mire, so focused about being in the pit, that you can't see the steps to get out of the pit yourself. Bunyan portrays such a depth of understanding of sin in this slough of despond. And too often today, many of us think that we are converted even before we've even struggled with our own sin. Part of conversion is understanding that you have been released from sin and this struggle. That, I mean, if you didn't understand your sin, how is it possible to even understand salvation? How is it understand righteousness? What is righteousness to you if you don't think you've done anything wrong? 
if you don't think you need saving. See, part of the pits that we fall into in our lives are to help us to understand our need for salvation, our need for the work. You know, Bunyan here talks about help. And if we look in the New Testament, odds are help is, is a character is the Holy Spirit who comes to us in the midst of these struggles, in the midst of our pits, and lends us a hand. Unless we look at the pit as our very sin and we're trying to get out and look for salvation, then the one who comes and lifts us out of the pit of sin is Christ himself. Is Christ himself. According to Bunyan's autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, he says, my original and inward pollution, that was my plague and my affliction. Sin and corruption would bubble out of my heart as naturally as water bubbles out of a fountain. I fell, therefore, at the sight of my own vileness, deeply into despair. I have to ask us, and and I've already answered this question myself, when was the last time you fell into despair at your own vileness? I can't remember when I did. I can't remember when I really looked at my sin and really began to hate it in some measure of that of the Lord and the way the Lord hates sin. Well, I think David has. He says he lifted me out of the pit, out of the mud, out of the mire that held me there. God is then faithful and sends help to Christian's aid. And Bunyan refers to the work of the Holy Spirit here as he lifts him out, as he pulls him out. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 17, Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. See, God himself is David's help in the midst of this pit, in the midst of his slough of despond. Now, David doesn't relate exactly what his problem is here in verse 2, but maybe it's like Paul, who has this thorn in the flesh, and and we never really are sure what this thorn in the flesh is, but maybe it's left for us to make application of all the issues that we face. What is the pit that holds you? What is the miry clay that has a suction hold upon your feet that you can't get out? What is your thorn in the flesh? I tried to come up with some pits for us and what they may be in our own lives. So here are just a couple illustrations of what our pits might be. Maybe like pilgrim, like Christian, your pit is your own sin. That you have not found deliverance from it. And you lay awake at night wondering, what in the world is wrong with my life? What am I missing here? It's just you and the darkness and there is something not right in your life. There is something missing in your life and you are in a pit and you can't seem to get out of it. Everything you seem to try does not bring you fulfillment. David understood his pit of sin when he should have been out with his army because it was the time of year when kings went to war yet he stayed at home David fell further into that pit of sin when he looked out over the city and saw Bathsheba there and he went headlong in all in when he said get her up here so that I can talk to her 
And then he covered his sin with murder and with lying. And perhaps David knew he was in that pit for that probably an entire year. He had to wrestle with that on the inside. And maybe he thought he was the only one who knew of his sin until the prophet comes to him and says, You're the man. You've done wrong. And then it all came out. Now perhaps there's some sin in your life that has led you into another sin and then another sin and you don't know how to get out of it. You got one foot stuck in and then you got the other foot stuck in and you reach in here to get your boot out and you've got your hand stuck in and now you're really stuck and you just say, Lord, I, I don't even know how to get out and you stop talking to the Lord because you're so consumed with your own sins. You think you're so far into it, all you can see is your own sinful belly button and you can't see the helps that are right there. Just like Christian, you need help to come along and pull you out. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So perhaps your pit is sin. Uh, maybe your pit is defeat. Perhaps you viewed your entire life this way. Maybe you were told when you were younger, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be anything because you're just never going to measure up. Somebody has always highlighted your shortcomings. Maybe when you look at a situation, you look at it and figure out how it can fail before you figure out how it can succeed. Perhaps you have just assumed the Lord is that way as well. Always pointing at you, always saying you don't measure up. That's not the way the Lord works, but maybe you've fallen into that pit. David kind of got into this pit when he was younger. Remember? Samuel comes to his house to pick the next king. And where's David? He doesn't, he's not in on that conversation. He's out taking care of the sheep. Not until Samuel says, go and get him and bring him here. And then after he is anointed king, what happens? All his brothers go off to war. What does he do? Uh, he goes back to the sheep. And then while his brothers are at war and they're standing shaking in their boots in front of Goliath, David has to ferry food up to the front He's not yet allowed to put on a sword yet. He's just carrying food up. This is the next king that God has chosen. And then he stands before Goliath, and we know what happens there. David waited patiently upon the Lord until the Lord opened the doors for him to act. Maybe your pit is bad habits. I'm not talking about trimming your toenails in public or something like that, okay? I'm talking about habits that are really destructive. Maybe your habits deal with substances. Maybe your habits deal with things that your eyes should not see. Maybe they deal with things your mouth should not say. Maybe they deal with attitudes of your own heart. And you have just developed these habits over time. And you cannot get rid of them. You seem to be locked in. They seem to be clinging to you. And you just can't. You're in the pit. And you can't get out. Now make sure you're a believer first, because you won't change your habits until your hearts are changed. Once your heart is changed, then Christ can begin to work within you. You cry out to him. You seek his help. You find people filled with faith who can lead you and counsel you and challenge you. Fourth pit, maybe, is a pit of circumstances. It's not your fault. You're just here. You've attempted to live a Christian life and attempted to live faithfully, but because of those circumstances, because of others' attitudes or others' actions, you are there in the pit, and you can't get out, and you don't know what to do. Just let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
Are we afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed? This is Paul. He is being persecuted for living faithfully. All of these things come upon him, but he says what? He's in a pit, but we're not destroyed because the Lord is doing something in our lives here in this pit. Paul looked to the Lord. He had been stoned, he'd been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked. He was in a pit of circumstances, not of his making, but because he lived faithfully before the Lord. There's one more that, that I kind of hinted at earlier. Perhaps it's a pit of depression. And maybe that's a medical issue. And maybe you're just, the world seems like an unfriendly place. It seems like a dark place. And you, you hardly have the energy to continue in life and, and to do anything. And, and, and when you're, you know, you can function a little bit. But when, when the chance comes, you just stash yourself away. Because everything else is too hard. Maybe personal interaction is too hard. Maybe just... Go down the list. I think uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of the population uh, of our country is now on some sort of medication to take the edge off. Uh, you know, we affectionately call it to make the world seem like a better place, a little pink pill or something like that. You know, sometimes the Lord will come and heal you of those things. Sometimes He's given you enough smarts to go to the doctor. And say, I'm in a pit, and I can't get out, and I'm afraid I'm depressed. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping well. I have no energy. I don't want to go out, and I don't want to be with people. I, don't, I can hardly function. That's another type of pit. So when we look back at Psalm 40, after David's cry to the Lord, what does the Lord do? Second half of verse 2. He, the Lord hears him, first off. He notices his circumstances. He takes him out and sets his feet upon the rock, making my footsteps firm. And then he puts a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Remember, we'll go back and we'll just review Pliable's response. At that, Pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you have been telling me about at this time? Aren't we Christians? Doesn't the Lord promise us good things? Doesn't he promise us blessings? What am I doing in the pit? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? If I get out again with my life, you shall possess the brave country alone. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two, got out of the mire on that side of the slough, which was nearest his own home. He went back home. He says, I've had enough of this stuff. And Christian saw him no more. Pliable, got out of the pit the quickest and the easiest way. Sometimes the Lord wants us there because David says what? I waited how for the Lord? I waited and it was patiently until the Lord got me out of the pit. Now according to the world's wisdom, how shall we deal with pits? Well, if you talk to a Buddhist, he says your pit is only a state of mind. If you talk to a Hindu, this pit is for purging, making you perfect if you talk to Confucius, he says, if you would have listened to me, you would have never fallen in the pit in the first place. If you come across a self-pitying person, he says, well, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. <laughs> the news reporter wants a story about your pit. The federal bureaucrat wants to know if you've paid taxes on your pit. The county inspector wants to know if you have a permit for your pit. The realist comes, across, comes upon you in the pit and says, man, that's a pit. Okay. The idealist says, you know, the world really shouldn't have pits. The optimist says things could be worse, and the pessimist says things will be worse. 
But for the believer, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon the solid ground. If you are not a Christian and you're stuck in the pit of sin, then you need to turn to Christ. If you're a Christian and you are stuck in some sort of pit, in some sort of mire, you need to call to him. You need to see, is he calling me just to wait patiently for him? I need to check with the word. I need to talk to my faithful friends. If I've been in this pit for years, and perhaps you need to talk to a doctor. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit. Let's pray. Lord, we are each individuals, and our pits may not be the same, the things that we get stuck in. They might be temporary. We might find ourselves in something that our own circumstances, our own actions have put us in. We might find ourselves in something that the circumstances and actions of others have placed us in. We might find something ourselves locked in something that comes from our past that we cannot escape. Lord, these pits are places, one, that we might learn what you're doing, two, that we might see your hand in rescue and in providing wisdom, showing us where the steps are. And if we can't find the steps, reaching in and grabbing us yourselves and pulling us out. Lord, we come to you today, and and I don't know where, which pit people are in today. We all find ourselves in, in there from time to time. I pray that our eyes would be open to where we are, to what you're doing, and to the hand that you extend to us that will draw us out of the miry clay. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.